Hey, what's up, everybody? It is your man's DJ Doris E. And Maya Dorsey. And we are back for another episode of the Dorsey Den Podcast. Come on in, sit your butts down, and let's have some dialogue. Y'all already know. All right, so check this out. Um, Actually, what I, something that I wanted to hear from you, you had learned some stuff today. Oh. Yeah, I you, you had texted me. And I didn't tell you this before we started, but I wanted to be fresh. But you had texted me earlier today about a war between Mexico and United States mm-hmm. over Texas. Yeah. And you learned some interesting stuff. We ain't talked about it yet, so. Man, you put me on the spot because it was it was just so, it's so much that I haven't even wrapped my my whole head around to tell you the truth, but um, dang, I need to get my my notebook. But I mean, shoot off the top of your head. What do you remember? I'm I'm trying to remember the actual title of this particular situation. What, what, what's the gist the of gist, what you learned? The gist of it is that the United States decided to have a war, pick a fight, in a sense, with Mexico. Mexico. Um. And as a result, around what do you remember? What, around what era this was? This was like seventeen hundred eighteen. 18. I think this was eighteen hundred. Okay, like eighteen forty six through eighteen forty eight or something. All right. Why can't I get my notes? Because we're recording. My purse is right there. Why do you need notes? What, what's the gist because of what you Because I want to give the exact title of what it was. We don't need the title. Just tell me what it is that you learned. Basically, the United States picked this war with Mexico. And as a result, they basically made this agreement or bottom line, United States took 52% of Mexico and made it the United States. And as a result, that was like California, Utah, Texas, um, some other surrounding states as a result of, you know, this air quote war which really wasn't a war war it was just something that United States decided to um, a, a fight they decided to pick and so you know Mexico lost 52% of their land and so what was Mexico one day was the United States the next mm. so you saying that California Texas Arizona I it always, was like Utah I always wondered about New Mexico like I don't know. We didn't really get into to the New Mexico so, part. So these states were actually part of Mexico at one point, and then it became America or uh, United States versus, you know. Because, see, here, here's the crazy. The Mexican-American War is what it was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here's the crazy thing. The one thing that I used to always, um, that I tripped on recently, you know, we've been out of school for a while. And one day I'm looking, I think I was looking at my, um, on my phone. Mm-hmm. I love when we go on vacation. I love taking pictures wherever we go. That way we got the dots. Right. Like this is where we been. So I'm looking at a lot of stuff that we took in the Caribbeans. And, you know, we've been to Texas. We've been to Florida. We've been to Mexico. We talked about going to Canada. So I looked at the map and I'm like, wait a minute. I forgot that America, North America is a continent. United States of America is a country. Mm-hmm. So there's like different countries within this continent. Just like Africa has a lot of countries, 
Europe has a lot of countries. We're the only country that is divided into states. Right. And Mexico technically is America. North America and Canada is North America. Right. But, okay, and I have it because, you know, I had it in my phone. But anyway, this whole Mexican war, um, you know, what the was paraphrased as the United States intervention with Mexico, it talks about, and it did, it happened 1846 through 1848, and it basically was this an- annexation, annexation, I can never say that, annexation, mm-hmm of texas and so basically like i said 52 percent of mexico became these other american states and so it included texas new mexico california um was also included in this and what was so interesting is you know the question was like why did why did we only take 52 percent of mexico and not just the whole thing well, you know, in this conversation, in this, this discussion, what came up was if we would have took all of that country, then it would have outnumbered the whites in America. And so, like, this conversation was really about, and I, I really don't want to get into, like, race or politics because it gets really, really deep, but how this country was built for the white. So when you start talking about, taking this population bringing them into america now the dominant population is going to be brown people and so it flips the whole construct of how united states was supposed to be built and set up for white america mm-hmm. and so that's why it was you know let's just keep the other 48 percent or what is that 38 percent let's keep that and it will take the 52 and so, I mean, this whole, you know, I went to this race and equity workshop and I mean, they, they did a beautiful job, but they really broke down the social history of race in America and how race is embedded in every aspect of our life from housing to education to health care and everything that in those areas you can find the most oppressed group being blacks in every area. And so it, I mean, it was just amazing. So when I, when I sent that to you today, I was just like, my mind is being blown because here I am three time college educated, three time college graduate. And this stuff is like, what? You know, I think the most, no clue is not taught in school. It's not taught in college. Clueless. A lot of relevant stuff to me isn't taught in school. It's not. But this is history. This is real life information about this country that we call our country, the United States of America, and how, yes, we know stories of Christopher Columbus, this, that, and the other, but when you start getting even deeper than that from the 1500s on down to now, and what you see is this social pattern Mm -hmm. of how we've been socialized and conditioned. I mean, it just blew my mind. Like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all these different conversations that we had. And in this workshop, there was white and black people. There was uh, a lady that was um, Asian. I mean, 
it was a very diverse group of people having this particular conversation about the the construct of America, white America, mm-hmm. and how it is embedded in every system for Ameri- for white for whites, let's just say white people to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And I mean from from every area that we try to like break down and define. Mhm. White people were always designed to be on top, and black people was so they talked about that being the bookend. So the bookends are white at the top, blacks at the bottom, and everything else in between. Mm-hmm. And no matter what other racial group that you talk about, they still surpass blacks. Even Mexicans still surpass blacks. And um, um, okay. You know, I, I think that was amazing. I think one of the things that's most confusing to me is um one, there there's a lot of things within race that's just so confusing to me. And I actually had this conversation with a, a female um that I know who is Mexican. She's she's from Mexico. Because mm-hmm. I'm I'm very conscious about Mexicans, Latinos, Hispanics, Span like there's differences that I was totally ignorant to. And uh, I remember my sister would say, no, you know, don't call Mexicans Hispanics. Don't call Hispanics Mexicans. And actually, um, uh, Ava that cleans her house, she's from Mexico. So I had the conversation with her. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't realize how offensive it can be. But anywho, my point is, uh, I, I, I asked uh, the lady that I know who uh, is Mexican. I said, I, what I... And I tread lightly because I never want to offend. But I think one of the things that's confusing is aren't Mexicans, and I don't know, I thought Mexicans was part of European descent. That's and, interesting. And, 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 and that's why, like, even. They're considered brown. They're, they're considered brown, brown but I thought they, like, you're going to get some, like, you're going to get some that's very light. But we're not talking about hues. We're talking about culturally grouped. But I know. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, I thought Mexicans were European descent. No. They're not? not. I don't know what their descent... I don't... And this this is where, if, if you're Mexican and you're listening, please chime in. This, this is where the education for me needs to come because it's like, number one, I think it's not funny, but you kind of kind of chuckle. Like, black people are some of the most forgiving people. We are some of the most forgiving people for the things that happen to us. And we... We don't, we never hated white people, but they hated us. Constantly. And it's like, what did, we didn't do nothing. We we didn't do anything for us to be hated. I mean, okay, so we know about white flight, mm-hmm. right? We know about, and this still occurs to this day, but what, what, what is so interesting is how it was, how it was systematically designed and set up that, this is post, um, like post-war, and you know, like today we talked about even like the GI Bill, and so you had all these soldiers, black and white, who had access to the GI Bill, and you know, FHA, you know, the way H- FHA was set up was supposed to be fair housing, mm-hmm. but even in that, it was still designed not to be fair, mm-hmm. so it wasn't equitable. And so, you know, you have this whole conversation around housing and 
how you can go and you can get a house. Like, so before FHA, you were required to pay a 50% half down of your house within, and then you had like three years to pay your house off. Once FHA came, then it was like, okay, we're going to give you 10 to 20% down and you have up to 30, 30 years to pay it off with a lower interest rate. Mm -hmm. But so, what these what these housing people did was they wrote in laws for black people. Mm-hmm. So um, they talked about um, ugh, it's just it's so fresh. But basically, it was like how we if you had black people move into a Take community, if black people was to move into a community. Um, of course, um, we know that the property value went down, but these laws, how they were written was intentionally for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, um, when the GI bill comes, okay, everybody can move, everybody can buy a house, everybody should have access, you know, go buy a house. But then when you bought that house, then automatically the value went down. But they talked about, like today I talked about how realtors were literally going around knocking door door to door in these communities because now these are affluent white communities. Now you're you're introducing black families into this as a result of FHA. And you're going door to door saying, hey, it's starting to be enough, you know, too many black people here. How about we offer you cash for your house and you can go ahead and, and, and leave. So what they, happened? They was offering this to black people or white people. They was offering white people cash to leave their neighborhoods because black people were coming in. Because what it said, how this law was written, is if you had one or two, I think it was between one and three black people in your community, as now your community technically is depreciating. Like this, how these laws and stuff were written. So now it's depreciating. So we're gonna knock on your door and say, hey, you know, you see your neighbors. We're going to offer you cash to get out. And so what happens is all those people leave, leaving the black people there. And now, as a result, now the community is going down. But it's like it was, we know that. We know about white flight. But it was intentionally designed on purpose, laws written, realtors and and system people working to design this and construct this. That's what's so amazing. So it wasn't the fact that the neighborhood went down because black people were there and they were not valuing the neighborhood. It went down because people are actually telling people to come out, sell your house, leave now, we'll pay you some money. And so what happened, it became this competition amongst the the white neighbors of who was going to get out first and who was going to get the most money to get out. Because I don't want to be less, you know, here holding the bag and being here in a depreciated neighborhood. So the race is to get out. So it was just like, we know about white flight. White flight still happens. And so, you know, it's just like these neighborhoods were built for whites. And then when the blacks come, we're going to get you out of here because now it's appreciation. I mean, every area that we look in our social history, white people are designed to be on top and blacks are designed to be on the bottom. And no one can get to the root cause as to why. Why were black people chosen as that group that was supposed to be oppressed, you know, feared, disrespected? Why? You know, I think another thing, I heard a guy say something um, the other day, uh, a comedian. He made a very good point. It's kind of funny, but it's a very good point. He said, you know, I think one of the most 
think like I'm I'm be, even as I'm getting older, I'm becoming a whole lot more culturally aware. Like there's things I'm still being introduced to that I did not know. So one time when we was in New York last year, we was riding a bus, like a tour bus, and um, uh, a city tour bus, and there was a lady, a white lady, who was speaking a different language. You know me. I'm a friendly person. I'll speak to anybody. So she was speaking in a different language, and then she would go to English. Speaking a different language, go to English. So I kind of was like, hey, where y'all from? I'm thinking, I'm trying to guess, like, they got to be Russian. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, we're from Africa. So I was like, I hear a record scratch, like, Ew. from where? She was like, oh, we African. Huh? I'm looking at a white lady with blue eyes and her friends that actually came from Africa to visit her, her family. Excuse me. And she's telling me she's African, South African. So I'm asking her, like, how was that? She was like, well, we live in South Africa. We're from South Africa. And she's telling me about the population. Then we had a conversation with a guy on a cruise whose name tag says South Africa. So they, you know, the Dutch took over South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so this comedian was like, you know, the weirdest thing is hearing somebody that looks white saying they're African. And he was like, how would it look if I walked up? You didn't know who I was. I, you, you just see me. You don't hear me speak. And he was like, and I just started speaking. Fine, time, hi. Watch out. Chi-chi. Chinese. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be funny. That's what he did. And they'd be like, oh, you African? He'd be like, no, I'm Chinese. But you are black. Yeah, but I was born in China, so I'm Chinese. He was like, how weird is that? Lastly, when we went to Barcelona, one of the things that kind of threw me off was, and I don't know if you heard it, but when we was doing a tour, they apolog- the, the tour guide apologized about Christopher Columbus. Like, I know what he did in America. Mm-hmm. So, I'm saying all that to say, I think one, one thing that I mentioned earlier was a lot of things that are imperative to history is not taught. And you asked a question like the why question. And I don't, I, I, I question, like, Africa are dark people, mm-hmm. black people, Africans. You go to Europe, it's light people, white people. You go to Asia, it's colored people, you know, um, slanted eyes. You go to India, they're 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 Asian still, uh, closer to Africa, so they're darker. You go to Mexico, you go to um, a lot of Caribbeans. Like there's these different descents of people, mm-hmm. but it's like. What is it about people that comes from Europe that goes to other places and just kind of like take over? So I think I think everybody that watched Black Panther kind of laughed when you heard him say colonizer, mm-hmm. called them colonizers. Like you know, you come in here and you just taking over. I think one of the most interesting people to probably talk to is a Native American. They're probably some of the most interesting people to talk to that understands history and will give you real history that was passed down to them through their ancestors and stuff. But 
I don't know. It, it's, but, it's 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 a lot of questions that 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 circle this whole thing. Well, let me go back because and and, and no the thing diff- is, and, and and through all of this, we don't hate white people. It's not about that at all. It's about an experience, and it's about a historical experience. And what I want to say is, just it be it would be no different if I was a black Alaskan. It does not just because you are a from black who? Alaskan. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference if you are from the same geographic area or not. It is a completely different experience. And so even if you have a white African, technically from West Africa, because that is your area, South it's Africa. South Africa. Yeah. It does not mean that, that, that they've had that experience of a person that is from that same area who is of a darker hue than them. Mm-hmm. And so when we get into race, we, we, we have to get out of this practice of you know, neutralizing or um, trying to soothe the tone to make it comfortable for everyone. Everyone, this is a very uncomfortable situation. And when you really want to bring about change, you have to be willing to dis- disrupt and interrupt your comfort zone and really sit in the fact that in this country, there is white privilege, plain and simple, period. And if you say there's not, then you have not said in that truth. That is the truth. You know, and the fact that we historically as African-Americans and African black people in general, we have been the economy, um, you know, used even as slaves. We have been oppressed. And so we have to get out of the fact that, oh, I have black friends or I have um, I know people or I understand experiences. If you don't live it, if you don't see it, if you don't walk it, if you haven't felt it, then you cannot say that you you understand. But it's okay to try to get the facts so that you can't understand and that you can relate. One last point I want to make is that we have to, you know, we talked today about interrupting the status quo. And one of the quotes was that the status quo is is the past parading as the present we have to get past of making you know p- the past being paraded as the present but we what, have what, to, is that, what does that mean we, we 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 have to acknowledge where we've been and where we're going mm-hmm. you 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 just have to if you want to interrupt the status quo you have to acknowledge the real true facts about what's going on historically and what's going on now and a lot of times they pattern each other. They mirror, mirror each other. Mm-hmm. But we think now we are colorblind society. We are not. Oh, absolutely. And not. so the fact that, and like somebody brought this up in conversation, oh, we had a black president, so we're past it. We've moved on past civil rights. We're, we're, we're beyond that. But just this week, we see example of black a black woman, you know, being attacked by the police i'm not i don't want to get into what they did not right wrong or indifferent we are still mistreated by law enforcement citizens we are mistreated and it's like why is this this um what do you call it excessive force use we see so frequently is this about the the doll baby i think so yeah one dollar doll um why why is excessive force used commonly on people of color and so that just goes to this whole social narrative that is happening in this country and we have to be honest and be willing to have these courageous conversations with people and be honest about it in order for us to really bring about some awareness and some change and then you have to be a change agent so i'm done because this this whole conversation i'm telling you when you really get into the historical 
500 years of where we started to where we are now, it's not that dissimilar. So it is to me having a son and having a daughter of color, black, um, it's concerning to me. Yeah. And you know, I actually had a conversation. I get to, I get the opportunity to be part of a, um, of a focus group where it's white people, black people, um, some Indian people, some Asian people, very small group under 10 of us. And when we spoke last week, I made the statement of, and I was telling the, the, the white guy that was in the room and I said, you know, one of the biggest things that I think a lot of white people don't understand is that some of the struggles or some of the things or the reason why black people are the way they are, you know, just culturally speaking, why, why white people probably don't understand us, but we probably understand white people more than they understand us is because white people. And I don't want to say I, I, when I said that, I was like, damn, it's some kind of bad, but people that live in the suburbs that are white. White people that lived in, that was you know born raised lived in the suburbs have no idea what was going on in the inner city where black people live, mm-hmm. but black people experience white people because a lot of times we had to go to them for jobs and um, stuff you know just teachers we interact with as teachers or principals in our school like we've had interactions with them, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they didn't come like maybe some of the teachers that was white in the public school systems or. Um, that dealt with certain things that dealt with black people at, at like a job center or something. They had the experience, but you still ain't went to the neighborhood to understand. So I think one of the struggles. That's a part of white privilege, right? You don't have to go to the neighborhood. Exactly. I don't have to. And that's, that's what I was explaining. I don't have to have that experience. I can live in a whole different lifestyle and never have to interact or come in contact with that experience because mm-hmm. I have the choice. I have the privilege to do so. So what I was explaining to one guy, I actually go to lunch or dinner with the gentleman um, in his 50s, white guy. We go like once a month. We just talk. So one day we talking and the conversation of Make America Great Again came up. Mm-hmm. We talked about this before. And um, I told him, I was like, well, for black people, that's scary. And he was like, well, why? And I was like, Make America great again for who? Because it ain't never been great for black people. And he was totally like, I never looked at it that way. You never had to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But you're talking to a black guy who's, ex- you know, my experience is just hearing from my parents and grandparents and, you know, just being black and hearing black stories. I don't have no great experience. Uh, I don't have a, a I, don't, I don't think black people had it. Well, we know black people didn't have a great experience here in America. So he was just totally like blown away. Like, huh, I never looked at it that way. He lived in the suburbs, grew up in the suburbs, worked in the suburbs. You ain't been around black people, you you know, so you don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I'm like a lot of uh, when white privilege is brought up and people – People get upset about it. White like, privilege and white supremacy. It's like a lot, or, or just um, um, uh, what's the other one? Um, it, where has it been embedded into the culture? I can't think of it right now. Um, not white supremacy, not white privilege, but it's just uh, I forget what it's called. But it's just there are certain things that was just embedded in culture that a lot of people that didn't experience black culture don't see it because mm-hmm. they they don't they, the privileges they don't have to. 
Yeah, because there was a whole exercise and a discussion about um, systematic. It's just a lot of things. Systemic. Are, it's systemic racism mm-hmm. or, or systemic. Just some things are just embedded into the culture In the systems. Yeah, that a lot of people just don't see. But that's it. the whole. That's the whole construct of um, the United States. Like I said, systemically, it was it's designed mm-hmm. systemically design and still design to oppress one group and empower another. But like we had this whole um, exercise about, um, you know, like what are your, like, what do you, what's your experience or what are, what is your, what do you have pride in and being your race? And so the, the room went around, you know, it was three categories, black, white, and then there was one Asian. And so first all the white people were interviewed, you know, asked like, you know, give me, give me an, a, a benefit of you being white um, or something that you take pride in being white. And so people say, you know, like, I don't have to think about my color. You know, I don't have to worry about my kids. You know, I don't have to fear police. Just all these different things that people went around in the room. You know, I had a good life. You know, I was born into wealth as a result of my parents or whatever. So then when you go to the to the um, other side of the room, you start talking to black people. It's like, what do you take pride in? You know, it was like my culture, my heritage, my skin, my hair, the fact that I can do so many different things with my hair, um, you know, music, all these different cultural traditions that have been passed down to us from generation after generation. And so, you know, um, when you start comparing the two, you really see there is a difference. Like you can't sit up here and, you know, say we all the same. Oh, we just like eggs. We all got the same on the inside. We all bleed the same blood. All that's great. But the experience that you have are different. Mm -hmm. And, And I think we talked about this before, you know, even as a black woman being in a profession, the professional world, I have to always worry about my hair. You know, I'm natural, which, which sucks. I'm natural and I'm trying this natural thing. I'm really tempted to go back to relaxer because I just can't, you know, my hair won't stay straight. But think of, even in that, the fact that I want that we as black women gotta want our straighten. hair to be straight. Got to straighten your hair just to fit in. With it's the, with socializing. The, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We've been socializing conditioning. Where, where naturally our hair is curly. Curly, kinky, thick, whatever. But mm-hmm. we've been socialized to think that well, our hair, that in, in order for us to fit in, we must. I still got hair on my chin. Go ahead. I can't. Hair we, on my chest. We must. and Taco meat. Dude, I don't do taco meat. We must, you know, um put ourselves or, or create ourselves or design ourselves or fix ourselves to look like white people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so even in that, it's like, it's a daily struggle. Like how am I going to be received, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. based on my hair today? If I come up in there with an Afro, you know, Oh, what I mean, how, how she's am I going to, she's, she's a part of that black Panther. Right. Am I going to be angry? One of the white women even said, I don't have to worry about being classified when I get upset as an angry, as an angry black woman. Like this real this real life conversation here. And so she been watching Tyler Perry. And so the fact that when we do legitimately get upset as black women, mm-hmm. we are always tagged and labeled with the fact that we are the angry black woman. And so, you know, it's just all these different things and labels that we have to carry every day. So like we don't get to and I think that's why black people, we, we gravitate to each other in a crowd because we can be ourselves. We can put that down and we can be ourselves. It's like, you, you know, get me. That's funny that you mentioned that because I don't think a lot of white people even know that. 
Yeah, that's why we huddle up because when, it's like, yeah, oh, like, people that look like me, they understand me. They I get did me. a wedding. I did a wedding this uh, past weekend, and it was probably about two hundred and fifty people there. Out of two hundred and fifty people, it was probably four black people. We made eye contact and threw up the fist at each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like you look to see what type, what type of black person is this? Is he right. a suburban black person? Oh, he threw me the fist up. He black black. Mm-hmm. So, and but, if, it, but even if they not black black, but you still you, make that eye contact you and y'all, still y'all relate with each other. When you are in a room that is made of, of people that look totally opposite of you you search from for some diversity in that room mm-hmm. to connect with because and he you want to head nod like be, what's up brother because oh. you want to feel like you're not connected. alone yeah, yeah you, you want to feel connected and so i think you know we can even see this with kids like they will find the black child you know they gonna link up with the black but that is the reason why and so like i said when you when you know better you do better mm-hmm. but we really have to we really have to question what we know and we have to stop just accepting what's on the surface. If, if anything that I've learned over the last two days, which just kind of extended my knowledge and my growth, I'm not going to say it was just like this, you know, like, Oh my God, I just didn't know anything, but it really gave me more of a push and an awake awakening to even know even more. But I'm almost 40 years old. And I think to myself, man, I'm learning this. My kids aren't being taught this. So the thing that I've been challenged to do in order to change this whole construct as we as as my kids get older, because they're the next generation, is that I need to take one of these concepts every week, print it out, have a conversation with them, read it with them, have a discussion, because the more that I we start educating our kids on our history, and I'm not talking about general history. I'm not talking about, you know, the history. people that we know about. Real deal but history. But I'm talking about deep culture you know in the u.s fabric and fiber of culture history then our kids will come out greater on the other side Mm -hmm. because we are basically products of what we what we've been sold okay sold told however you want to put it but that's that's what we're products of and i just thought and i mean i wasn't by myself there was other people that were just frustrated like i'm 50, 50 years old and I'm 60 years old. Like, I never thought about that, you know, or I knew pieces of this history, but I didn't know all of this history. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, to me, it's just like, in order for us to change, we really, 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 really got to know our real gotta, history. Got to know where you came from to know where you're going. Um, You know, you brought up kids. Something that I've been thinking about is, you remember when we was kids, we went outside and played? Right. And... I look at kids today, excuse me, I look at kids today versus our time. And it's so different. It's so different. Like, I don't know. How many people, like, we try to push our kids to go outside and play. But even when they go outside to play. They'll be outside for five minutes. Well, that, that too. But even when they go outside to play, there's this worry like, is somebody going to snatch my kids? Or is there a sexual predator somewhere around? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, because I, I heard I, on the news today, did you hear on the news today, that this um, local teacher here in, in this area, I think Springboro teacher, was charged for, with primary students, was charged on like 
36 counts of um, sexual misconduct with children, girls. Primary school? Primary school. It's like 36 counts. And I couldn't believe it. You talking about first grade and under? Yeah. I think it was like first and second grade. Wow. And, and, And I just thought to myself, we worried about the boogeyman next door. But the boogeyman is dealing with our kids every single day. But, you know, I, here's the other thing, too. And not that it didn't happen even when we was kids, because it's like as we get older, and and I want to tread lightly on this, but when, as we get older, we hear about people that we know that has been molested, never told anybody. Um, there were certain things that happened even in our even in our history or, you know, in our childhood. People that got molested or find or something like that and then they didn't tell anybody and then i think i think those experiences is what make us a little bit more conscious because it happened to a lot of our peers mm-hmm. that we might know so it made us a little bit more conscious to be like well heck i ain't seen them my kids over such and such house or but that's what i'm trying to that's what i'm trying to say yes that's how we were condition you know that it was the neighbor that it was going to be this you know the spooky person behind the building but what i'm saying is now the 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 predators are in spaces that we have no control over right because schools and and systems are supposed to vet these people out through background checks all these different checks and tests to make sure that they can be the um, the right the right people are standing in front of our kids and interacting with our kids. And so when you have a, a PE teacher from Spring, Springboro um, Community City Schools, like I said, he, 20, 28 first grade girls are the subject of this 36 indictment against a former phys ed teacher. I mean, come on. So you, you have 28 first graders, girls, that were targeted with the gym teacher on 36 counts of sexual misconduct. And, you know, when I was listening, cause I was getting ready this morning as I heard it, but it really stuck with me. And that's the reason why I don't like to watch the news at all is because they were saying how these girls were competing for his attention. And Wait, so these first graders, were? these first grade girls were competing for his attention. And so, you know, you think about that and you're like, oh, they're first grade. They're cute. They just want to be with PE teacher, whatever, whatever. And so we can't even go into, you know, I mean, and, and Springboro is a pretty affluent area, you know, here in this in our area. So we can't even I'm not saying perfect households, backgrounds or whatever. Just affluent. But affluent, you know, and so my thing is, even in these areas where you're thinking that you're safe, there is no safety net. And so when you talk about going outside, yes, we live in a, And I I say that to say that we live in a day and time now Mm -hmm. that we can't even send our kids to church to to um, with their coaches for sports to school because the predators are there. And I think our generation of parents People, our peers, us, our alarms are just way higher. Absolutely. I think our alarms are just way higher. Um, Sick has gotten sicker, okay? And so when you think about that, I mean, I'm we're really, really tight about how many people our kids are exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do the whole sleeping over? No, don't even ask me. Mm-hmm. Like, the answer is no. Um, because it's a very limited, super on one hand, a couple of fingers, it's limited amount a couple of people. Of fingers. 
a real. limited amount of people that we'll be like, oh yeah, go ahead, For no real. problem, no question. For real, it's, it, it really is, and I have to explain. But that I to remember the kids. sleeping over people's house. Oh, I did too. But we don't let our kids do it. But, I did too. But our alarms are just higher. I did too. But but again, not only that, we are so overexposed with media and all these images, and now it's okay to do certain things and act a certain way, and so that was questioned. You know, years ago, when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was just certain things you just didn't flat out do. And if you did, you did it in secret. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we're in this in this culture of overexposure to drugs, sex, media, all these different things. And so when you're trying to, like, you know, keep the aperture of your, your children's lens, which is the lens, trying to keep it as narrow as you can and gradually open that thing up, and then you can go and expose your kids to somebody who is just – the lens just off like hey whatever whenever just do whatever you have to really pull back and start really being very um specific in how you let your kids socialize with other with other people don't get me wrong they're gonna be exposed you can't control it it's not i'm not saying at all you can try to control it oh we can control all our kids spaces and who they're around and what they're exposed to you cannot you you can't but when they go outside Typically, we either have to be at the ground level where they are, or we're sitting up here on a balcony and we're able to see them. But they want to go riding bikes. I'm like, I'll go with y'all. And I'm like, no. Jay's like, can I ride around the corner to the pool? No, you cannot. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel comfortable because just that quick, something can happen. And we live in a um, condo community, and so we have a courtyard back here. And I always think about this courtyard because I watched Trayvon Martin's case from beginning to end. And I always think about how he was crossing the back of that courtyard and how somebody saw him and it just jumped out from there. And so even though you do a great job of making sure that people know who our kids are, I always think about them crossing this courtyard and I just think, "Mm -mm, no, that's okay. We'll go with you. Can I go? Nope. They can come down here. We can go down, but no, you know? And so that's one level of them not being able to go outside. But the other level is, is that we live in a media driven time. And so while we had to have physically have our Nintendo with us to play, <laughs> you know, our kids, Noah has that, what's it called? A switch, a Nintendo switch, which is the dopest concept, by the he way, he can play anywhere with anybody from anywhere. It's like, it's like, I think that switch is one of those things to where it's, it's like an Xbox, but then it's like, oh, you want to go outside and play? Let me unhook it and, and take the portable part. Exactly. So it's it's super dope concept, but we don't we don't really now kids don't have to go outside. We was going outside to be entertained. Mm-hmm. Now kids can be entertained indoors because of all the media and technology they have access and to. And even even like even with sticking with the gaming, which is pretty dope about it because I like gaming, but. Uh, but what's different, like you said, we had to physically be in the same room. Yeah, you had to Nintendo. have somebody come over. And, or then, take it and with you, you. got to have at least two controllers. But now, I ain't got to come nowhere. Yo, you about to get online? I'm about to get online. Put your headphones on, and we about to play this game. Like the other day, me and Ryan, Ryan has been on this podcast. Um, we play Mortal Kombat. I'm in my house, he at his house. And we got our headphones on. We talking to each other, talking trash, talking trash. Because I be hearing y'all sometimes. And, and and we playing Mortal Kombat. Back in the day, we had to be around each other. Which brings me to another point when it comes to like technology. Now you remember, you remember back in the day, somebody rings your doorbell <laughs> or even call your phone, 
Well, you still answer me. I don't. I'm the type. Text me first or call me first, and let don't just stop by my house. Now I don't play that. Don't stop by my house business. Now don't stop by my house because you liable to be outside. Yeah, but like I will answer my phone if you call. I will but, answer. But technology has changed it because I remember back in the day, you hear your doorbell ring, you go pick, you go answer the door. Oh, what's up, man? What's yeah. up with you? Oh, I was just in the neighborhood. You invited me in. You want something to eat? You want something to drink? Now you got a phone. You, I don't care how close you was to the neighborhood. You better call first. You better call. Shoot me a text. Like tech, like technology has really changed us. The other thing, <laughs> it's funny because to the point where the doorbell ring now, we, gotta, we all be looking like, who because, is that? Yep. We, <laughs> but and see the bad thing. I ain't gonna say the bad thing, but the funny thing about having kids is, it's like. It's like feet. Bum, them, bum, 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 and bum. the kids, as soon as they like, hear the door, it's like a dog. You know how a dog hear a doorbell and you just hear, woo, yeah. woo, 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 woo. the kids, you be like, yo, stop. We don't want nobody. Freeze. We, we don't know if we want them to know that we here yet. I ain't got no clothes on to be entertaining people. And then you open up the door and be like, do you have a Kirby vacuum? You know, y'all still doing door right. door sales. Right. But, um, uh, uh, you know, we used to be able to answer the door and just invite people in. Right. Somebody asked me a question the other day, and it made me think. They said, when was the last time you had somebody come over to your house and y'all just sat down and just talked? And I thought about it like, I can't tell you the last time I've been over somebody else's house. Think about it. What yeah, was we la- have. We just came from um the Marcellus's. Okay, yeah. But... Be like how often you don't do it often that but that is so like scheduled i just remember like even being kids we seen a, i seen a meme where you seen all these bikes on the front porch yep and it was, was like it was like oh snap that's mike's bike yep you knew it you knew who it was by that bike outside that's mike's bike yep. that's tony yep cordette like oh snap it's popping over here yep and it was like everybody, oh shoot, here come Terrence. Or do you ring the doorbell? Who is that? Who is that? Oh, Terrence here. Yeah. Like, let's go in the backyard and let's do some flips. Like, it was like, it was like a party. Every day. Like, especially in the summertime. Like, as much as I love technology, I miss those times. Yeah. That the kids would the kids of today, and I don't want to sound like an old head, We're but I'm just old. but I'm just saying, like, the times of the past was so much different. Um just just riding your bike. I used to ride my bike miles away from the house. Yeah, me too. Me too. Miles, like, miles. Now, I wouldn't even let the kids ride not 10% of the distance that I 400 meters. Yeah, I'm like, nah. <laughs> I mean, we'll be down two, three neighborhoods, you know, from where we are. And it, the rules were, you just better be, You had, I had to check in. Street lights. Well, I had to check in at some point because, you know, when in the summertime. Let me know kid, that you're alive. Yeah, because in the, in the summer as a kid, you leave the house, you get up, you get your clothes on, you Gone be out. all day. And so I had to come in at some point and be like, check it in. And then you get something to drink and you be back out, go get you a pop, you back out that door. But you better be home before them street lights come on or that's, that's, that's it, it for you. Yeah, And that's it. Like. And then we'll be in the backyard. So, like, the street lights on, and then everybody in my backyard. And all you had to do was call the other parent's mom, like, yep, my I'm parents, over here. Yep, yeah, I'm over here. All right, well, see if they can bring you, see if Miss Dorsey can bring you home. Yep. But the way my neighborhood was, it was um, all the houses was connected through the backyard, so everybody had a fence. Mm-hmm. We hopped the fence, went home. Yeah. Like, my dude, um, man, I had neighbors all over, kids all over. And we, oh, 
meet me at the park three o'clock tomorrow. We shooting some ball. Yep. Like I don't I don't see that. Maybe because we ain't got teenagers. I don't, but I just don't see that. And I just know parents are a little bit more guarded now. Well, see, see now, like I said, kids can connect digitally. So yeah. they don't have to physically be here because they connect digitally now. You know, they on FaceTime, they on games, they playing Roblox, they on Fortnite. They don't have to physically be present. Mm-hmm. And so to a degree, I feel like it's a little safer, but at the same time, it prevents them from having this socialization with their peers. Yeah. You know, those interactions, because, you know, you done had a whole conflict in a fight. Be ready to fight about a game, you know. But now it's like you don't have that. You don't, So I think it's, it's harder for kids to have conflict resolutions um, or be able to have those, develop those skills because they're not necessarily put in those situations day to day to do so. You know, because even when I was teaching or even as a um, administrator, they would argue about the silliest stuff and about, like about losing. You know, we lost all the time. What? And be talking trash. Like, oh, you lost. Because I had a tetherball. Tetherball. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Tetherball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had put one in the backyard. He had put uh, cement in a tire, a pole, and had my own little. What you know about it? We, that was nothing. We all had cement to cement something Yeah, down. we had a tetherball. Mm-hmm. How you say it? Tetherball? We know what you're talking tetherball? about. Tetherball? I don't even know how to say it anymore. Just move on. But um, we had one um, in my backyard, and we also had a basketball hoop in my backyard. So do we. And so um, people will be out there. We'll be talking trash. You know, you know, you know how you drop your book bags. You on your way home from school? Because I went to a neighborhood school. So everyone in my neighborhood went to the same elementary school. And so um, on your way home, people then came by talking trash on the way, book bags on the back backyard. You know, you didn't lost. You go home, you know, and it's like, dang, I'm going to get you tomorrow. Yep, that was but, it. But now it's like, y'all ready to fight. You can almost die over. Yeah, losing. y'all ready to have a fight now. Yeah, it's just different. You know what else? And, and two more things that we'll end. I don't remember. Do you remember ride, riding around with your bike with a helmet on? No. Like, I'd be like. Probably should have, though. Probably should have. Like, I just, that, I don't know. I just think so much stuff of today is soft, like. Ride with a helmet. You know how many scars and bruises we got from falling off our bike? And, uh, like, I just feel like we was built for tough back in the day. Yep. So the last thing that I want to end with is, um, you know, just talking about the phones. I heard something very interesting. And this is going, this is really about face-to-face. So I, somehow I'll be missing stuff. But did you know Dave Chappelle was at the Schuster Center? Last week, I vaguely heard. Yeah, because they were saying heard about something it. about him not allowing you to record or something. Well, you can't have your phone. You yeah. got to put it in the pouch. I did see somebody's Facebook post about so, that. So I actually was talking with a guy at the small group, um, focus group. He was talking about how he went and they made you put your phone in like this pouch, and he said it was the weirdest thing. He's he's our age. He was he's he's our age. He said it was just the weirdest thing. He said, you just seen people fidgeting. Like, they didn't make you leave your phone somewhere else. It was in a pouch close to you. Mm-hmm. And he said, people was just fidgeting, touching the pouch, trying, like, one opening it up. People just wasn't engaged with the show. Because we're so used to. Touching that phone. You t- have rec- one bored or dull moment. What do you do? If you Pick have your if, phone. If you have a dead moment in a conversation what do people do go to their phone go to their phone and 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 and, um you know people the one thing i don't do or i don't understand 
I don't do and I don't understand. Like when you're at a show, when you're on vacation, when you're doing stuff, people live through the, they recording everything. I'll be like, yo, enjoy your vacation. We'll snap some pictures. Mm-hmm. We'll take some video. Then the phone is like away for me. I, I like, well, that's what I love about cruising because you it's no point of having it unless you're taking a picture. You can't get on internet unless you pay for the internet package, and I'm not paying $100 a day to be on internet. It's not $100 a day. It's close like to it. But, and I'm not doing it, but it's a healthy distraction, too. It kind of helps you to unplug. I only want to check on the kids and the family, make sure everybody's good. Once I know everybody's good, I'm like, I'm good not having a phone because it's like, that's what I think helps us in our relationship with traveling is that we get away from get the distractions. Unplug. And so we get to unplug. We get to be into each other, into the kids. We get to explore. And I think something that we probably need to practice, we probably need to have a no phone rule here at certain hours. Yeah, because I wanted to the other day. I tried to watch a movie and uh, everybody was on their phones. <laughs> and I'm looking around like. I was working. <laughs> I was like, y'all said y'all wanted to watch this movie. I'm sitting down. You do the same thing. You just didn't do it in that moment, but you be on your phone. But I recognize it. Oh, please. I recognize it at that point. And I was just like, everybody is on their phone. Everybody. And I'm sitting up there just like, okay, this is a problem. So my point in this is the guy that. You're going to do a no phone challenge? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, we should make it a rule. Like maybe like get a basket to where we like, don't bring your phone to the dinner table. Or if we gonna watch a movie, don't bring like leave it over there. I'm game. Like leave won't it be starting you. You for real? I'm dead serious. The other night when we was sitting there trying to watch Captain Marvel, yeah, but everybody was on their phone. My phone is like not even in my hand. I'm like seriously, y'all. The problem is, is my whole office is on my phone. That's the problem. Okay, and la- lastly, that which brings up another point, which actually I had something written down, but we'll come back to it. One thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, and maybe we'll do this on a future podcast, is the pros and cons of working from home. And I said this to you before. I think one of the cons is people that work from home don't know how to turn it off. And I think, and I've told you this before, when I see you working in the bed, it really irritates me. Because I think you have no separation of work and home. Because your bed, to me, Space is very important. Like, I really don't bring my work. I don't bring. You do work in the bed. You're doing DJ stuff. You're not doing your office work, but you're doing invoices. You're responding to emails. Oh, that's everything. different. That now, ain't different. Man, Same let's jump. thing. No, but work no, no, is no. work. But no, no, no. But my point is, like, if I'm downloading music, I can do it from the comfort of my bed. But what, what my point is, you do it a lot. Like, you'll have your work laptop. Like, my DJing, I say it's a little bit different it's because not. because this is this is my this is mine. What you do is their company, and you bringing it and you bringing it and you working in bed. You got your notepad, you got your laptop, your work laptop. And <laughs> why are you saying my work laptop? Because it's the, it's the it's the work issue laptop, and you you doing and you're always doing work in the bed. And I'm like, the place where I lay my head, I have to I have to. Like, whenever I do a lot of DJing in the house, where do I do it at? You you mix in the basement. There we go. Okay, that's but, my point. Stop. No, 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 no. But you still, But you still do your work for DJing in the bed. And then let's get on that, too, because I have Girls Project work, too, that I also do off of my personal laptop. 
in the bed. Listen, there is only 24 hours of the day and I swear I need 48. And so yesterday for a prime example, I was working in the bed, but I shut it down. Like right now it's evening time. I shut it down to be with the family, cook y'all, sat down, we talk, blah, 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 blah. Once everybody go down, I'm like, cool. I'm about to lay here. I'm about to go ahead and kick out these emails, send what I got to send, create these docs. That way I'm done. I can just turn my mind off because if I do not get that done, I'm not going to sleep well. I have I think, to get I it think done. you have to go somewhere else and do it. Well, I got my she shed, and so I need to set my my she shed up it's a, enough. It's a, it's a desk in there, like. Where but you I can need go. a good chair. Yeah, I need a need chair in my in my TV. For, and for stuff. now, there could be a substitution because I think if you in the bed and you working, it's hard to turn it's a it off. Habit. It's, it's a hard to habit. turn it off. Me, I download some stuff. I check a few emails. We gonna make a make a deal then. Mm-hmm. What's the deal? I'll make it. No work in the bed. They go for you too then. Yeah. And I, I see my DJ work. All right. That's easy. Sometimes I come down here on the couch and do it. That's easy. Start and win because I need to work in the bed today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we just got to be kind because, and, <laughs> I and I know, I know when you ain't, I know when you ain't sleep because sometimes you be tossing and turning. I'll wake up in the morning and I always ask you, how'd you sleep? No, because I got a million. I mean, literally, you I don't to think, shut it off. but I don't think you understand. Oh, Dude, I don't. No, you don't. I don't. I have a million things on my to do list every single day. But, no lie. Not, not no unnecessary to do. But guess what? But it's always going to be, it's always going to be no, stuff to do. Sir. Yes. It's always going to be no. stuff to do and you got to shut it off. And the other issue with you, you won't take a lunch break. And I'm like, yo, nah, if, if you come to. home, I got a headache. Why? I didn't eat. Why do you keep doing this to yourself? Because I be trying to, I don't have enough hours in the it, day. But so you got to stop. Like, eat on I the think go. that's a woman thing. Yes, I'm saying woman. It might sound sexist, but a lot of times women are so nurturing that they forget to take care of themselves. Now, that's facts. That's why I be trying to do a and, little self-care when and I can. And then you get caught up in stress and worry. Me? You know, you know, some people, some people take a drink. Me, if I'm going to turn off my stress, I'm going to turn on that Xbox and I'm going to go shoot some stuff. Like, you got to take out some time for yourself. But our jobs are different. Our it don't whole, matter. It yes, don't it matter. Because you got to take out time because for yourself. Listen, because listen, being in Even human, if it's your hour lunch break. Be, being in human service work, you know, it's very hard sometimes to separate yourself from Yeah, but work. you can't take care but of everybody else if you if you burnt out. These, this is true. But our whole entire That'll man, preach. Our whole entire marriage, I have worked in human services. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's always, when you work in human service work, because you're dealing with humans every day and just situation after situation, it's hard to get to the work during the day. Mm -hmm. So you have to try to find some time after work to try to get the work done that Mm -hmm. you couldn't get done during the day. So it's a struggle. And I'm not saying that it's right. I hear you. I'm going to make a concerted effort after today. Because I did plan on doing some work tonight for this meeting. But I hear you. I just need to finish setting up my she, she shed so that I can work in my she shed. one thing about me, as you know, most cases I work seven days a week. Yeah. And you do too. Yeah. In the bed. But it's like, I think you got you got to take out time for yourself. Because I'll never forget this. Which is how the heck am I, I going? How am I, I, remember, heck am I, I I'll never forget this. Shaq said this to me. Um, Marlon Shackleford, shout out. He was like, I think this after we took our first cruise ever, and he was like, um, it was one of those things. Hey, what's up, man? Da 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 da. Yeah, I just got off a cruise. He was like, man, it's good that you took a vacation. 
And I was like, yeah. He was like, man, because what good are you to anybody else if you burnt out? And I was this like, this is true. I held on. I never forgot that. That was like five, six years ago when he said that. And I never forgot that. But and then, and then, and then Chris, Chris Reed, that has been on this podcast before, shout out to Chris Reed. He said something I'll never forget. He said, dude, when you go on vacation, indulge on every minute. Don't think about your drive back home or your it's flight back home. He said, enjoy. Don't think about work. Enjoy the moment. And those are all things that we do. The issue is, is that I'm a visionary. Mm-hmm. Always have been. And so my mind works in 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 just multiple ways and so for me like even the business that i'm trying to get off the ground for jay that she has interest in i swear it's like i just need another six hours out of a day to just do it but you know what's what i'm noticing is that i'm working so hard monday through friday that saturday and sunday i can barely i can barely like sit up you know what i I, you know what i think you got to look at stuff like Almost like you remember, and, and we still deal with this sometimes where you got bills. Sometimes you like, let me just touch every bill versus trying to pay off a big one. Or, um, you see, look, that's not my philosophy. No, you will be like, let I need to touch all of these bills versus just ignoring them. Oh yeah, I ain't gonna ignore him. But yeah, my goal yeah. is I was to pay off. Yeah, you want to definitely pay off. But I'm saying when you don't, when you can't pay off everything, you like let me touch on everything. Right. So I think that's what I try to do. I, I think even with work, do. you have to be like, you know what? I can't get everything done. Let me just touch up on everything. But this whole conversation is interesting because I really feel like I was doing better. And so the fact that you bring this up is just very interesting to me because I, I'm like, I'm not working as nearly okay. as much as I was when I was in school I feel like administration. A, I feel like a preacher now in our in our last moments. I'm now, let saying. me ask you this. Facts or not, no, no, am, I, am I working you, you, as much as home, at home as I was I when I was in school administration? I still see that laptop in the bed a lot. No. Not, not as much as school administration, no. Because I think that's the challenge for every teacher. Man. When you was a teacher, I'd be like, oh, my God. There's you would be, And that's why I would get so mad at the principals that didn't understand you. Because I'd be like, only if y'all seen what I've seen. Like, you be in the bed working until... 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, then get up at 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, 5 o'clock yeah. when you was traveling, uh, 5 o'clock to go to work, and you only might have had four or five hours of sleep. Yeah. And I'm like, man, these these other people probably just don't see it. Like, i seen it, and you was going to school. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, i seen that, but I still see that laptop in the bed a lot. And I just be like, okay, and, and all I, right. And, and I have to, like, yank the covers to even get some covers because the laptop is holding down the covers. Anywho, um, I hear you loud and clear. Just I'm starting after the day. Yep. So I got cotton mouth right now and um, I got to go make a mix. For There's a new show coming on by Will Packer. Plug the Will Packer that I'm really excited about watching. I think the correct term is shout out to Will Packer. What did I say? Plug to Will Packer. But I mean, you know, I, I understand. But dude, that is a plug, a shout out. See, that's because now, that's now because culture, now culture uses plug in a whole different way. No, they they say the um, plug, the plug. I know what the plug is. I've been around the teens. I know the plug. Stop pointing at the wall. That we're not talking about that plug. Shut up. I'm out. I'm out. I'm DJ Doris E. I'm Maya Dorsey. And um, this has been another edition of the Dorsey Den. Until next time. Yes.